Hello, everyone, and thanks for listening to the first episode of our new podcast, Dorney's Vinyl, a classic rock album podcast. My name is Colin, and I'm joined on this podcast by my fiance Miranda. Hello! And we have a good episode for you guys today. Before we get into that, I'm just going to run through a few things, such as explaining how our podcast series is going to work, some of the goals that we have for our podcast series are, and explaining how each individual podcast is going to play out. So for our series, we're going to talk about classic rock albums. And the thing that I think would make our podcast a little different from others is that both of us were born in 1996. So a lot of the albums we're going to talk about were probably released 10 to 20 years before we were born, and all of the classic rock albums we do will have to be released before 1996. Now, the reason that it's called Dorney's Vinyl is because every album that we do is going to be a part of my personal vinyl collection. So the goal of our podcast series is to release an episode every month, with the exception of our biannual bonus album months. For our biannual bonus album months, they will fall in September and March, with our first one being released in March. For the month of March, the bonus album can be anything. It can be any genre, released at any time, and by any artist, as long as it is a part of my collection. And then for September, we're going to do a movie soundtrack that I have on album. And overall, I think the main goal for both of us is just to have fun doing this. I know I have a lot of fun listening and searching for new records. And then, Miranda, what about you? Yeah, um, I think it's really interesting going uh, with you to all the record stores and being able to pick out ones that you don't have yet and uh, discovering new music uh, that we both enjoy from back then. Mm-hmm, yeah, and I think also just by preparing a few of the podcasts already, I think it's interesting how each album has history behind it and just a story behind it that, you know, some I haven't known just listening to the album. And I think another thing, too, that I'm hoping to accomplish with this podcast is to choose albums that maybe both of us aren't really familiar with that just popped up and maybe even aren't mainstream classic rock anymore. Um, So the goal is to kind of split it half and half, you know, half of them pretty mainstream albums, the other half maybe not so mainstream albums. Um, And then for each individual podcast, we're going to start with just telling a personal story that we each have about the album, going into some album quick facts and the artist's profile, doing the history of the album, and then a rundown of of all of the songs on the album. And then we're going to discuss what happened after the album was released, and then such as reviews about it, how it was perceived, what happened to the artist after that album. And then we're going to do a comparison to some other albums that, you know, just, they could be random albums, it could be other albums done by that artist. And then to finish off our podcast, Miranda and I are going to rank our top five songs on the album, including our favorite parts from each of those songs. And then we're going to rank the album in relation to other albums that we've done on this podcast. So I think that's the basics of our podcast. So I think we can get into our episode for today, which is going to be Meatloaf's Bat Out of Hell. So to start off this podcast, we're just going to each tell just a personal story that we have about this album. And I think for me, this is pretty easy because this is my favorite album. Meatloaf's my favorite artist. Um, So I started, the first time I heard this album, I was probably five or six years old. 
my dad used to be a, a DJ in the 80s and maybe the 90s, and he has just a bunch of CDs. And whenever I would go downstairs in the basement, he we would work out, he would just play a random CD. And I really liked Meatloaf's Bat Out of Hell because of Paradise by the Dashboard, like the baseball part, because I was really into baseball. Um, didn't really know what it meant at the time. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I just heard it a lot, really liked the album, and then heard Bat Out of Hell 2, really liked that one too, and then just grew into other Meatloaf albums. Um, so for me, this album started when I was five or six years old, and then you know, I'm 22 now, so it's been 16, 17 years of listening to the album. What about you, Miranda? Um, so growing up, my dad always listened to classic rock. Um, the one song that I did know uh, by Meatloaf was also Paradise by the Dashboard Light. Um, I just heard it all the time in the car on road trips and everything, and to be honest, I didn't even know uh, that Meatloaf had any other songs other than Paradise by the Dashboard Light, and maybe I'd do anything for love, but, um, yeah, this was really the only song I knew, so before I met Colin, didn't know too much about Meatloaf, but the second we met, um, I just knew how much he liked Meatloaf, and I remember when I first, uh, when I, we just started talking, um, he would tell me, oh, like, I'm listening to Meatloaf, and I told him that, Oh, I'll, I'll have to listen. What are you listening to? I'll have to also listen to Meatloaf. And at that point on, he knew I liked him because um, I wouldn't have said that I would listen to Meatloaf if I wouldn't have liked him. So that's kind of how I got to start to know some of the music was when I just first started talking to him. Yeah, there are very few people that will voluntarily <laughs> listen to Meatloaf around me. Um, he's not one of the most popular artists. He's very unique, and I think that's part of the reason why I like him. Um, but just, just to go into some al- album quick facts, it was Meatloaf's Bad Out of Hell was released on October 21st, 1977, under the record label of Cleveland International, which I don't think is around anymore. It was a, I guess you would say just a portion of Sony. Sony was the parent company of the record. All the songs on the album were written by Jim Steinman, um, who is one of the most unique songwriters of all time, in my opinion. The album was produced by Todd Rundgren. The album has seven songs, but it's 46 minutes and 33 seconds long. Um, It's the fourth best-selling album of all time worldwide. It has over 43 million copies sold. The only three albums that are ahead of it are Michael Jackson's Thriller, ACDC's Back in Black, and Pink Floyd's The Dark Side of the Moon. It was certified 14 times platinum in the U.S., 10 times platinum in the U.K., and 25 times platinum in Australia. So now we're going to go into the artist profile, and for this album, it's sung by Meatloaf, but I think it just doesn't feel right to just do an artist profile on Meatloaf, so we're going to do two artist profiles, one on Meatloaf and one on Jim Steinman. And another thing that I forgot to mention in the intro is that throughout the podcast, it's mostly going to be me talking about it, just because, you know, Meatloaf is one of the people that I've looked up a lot of just about the story. 
But at any time, Miranda, if you want to jump in and ask a question about anything, you can. Um, so the artist profile for Meatloaf, he was born Marvin Lea Day on September 27th, 1947. The nickname Meatloaf was apparently given to him by his football coach. Uh, he was a lineman, so in high school, his football coach just gave him the nickname Meatloaf. Um, he, was, he has released 12 solo albums, including the Battle of Hell trilogy. He has starred in over 40 movies and TV shows, such as playing Eddie in the Rocky Horror Picture Show, Red in Black Dog, which is a Patrick Swayze movie. He played Robert Bob Paulson in The Fight Club. And then he also played Jack Black's father in Tenacious D in The Pick of Destiny. And that part is kind of funny because he plays a, a father that dis- disapproves of rock and roll. Um, and then in 19, he won a Grammy in 1994 for his song, I Would Do Anything for Love, But I Won't Do That. And that was also written by Jim Steinman. And then the artist profile for Jim Steinman, he was born on November 1st, 1947. He graduated from Amherst College in 1969. He wrote the musical Tans der Vampire, which translates to Dance of the Vampires, which is one of the most successful German musicals of all time. He produced Celine Dion's 1996 Grammy-winning album Falling Into You. He was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 2012, and his other songs include Barry Manilow's Read Em and Weep, Air Supplies, Making Love Out of Nothing at All, Bonnie Tyler's Total Eclipse of the Heart and Holding Out for a Hero, Barbara Streisand's Left in the Dark, Celine Dion's It's All Coming Back to Me Now, and Boyzone's No Matter What. I had no idea that Meatloaf was in so many movies, and I also didn't know about the Celine Dion, how Jim Steinman probably produced most of yeah, he, her. He was one of the producers on yeah. her 1996 album. Yeah, it's really interesting. You never hear about that. Um, Celine Dion's huge, but I've, I've never personally heard of Jim Steinman, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, and that's even one of her most popular songs that she plays on almost every concert now. So, yeah. Heaven can wait And a band of angels wrapped up in So the history of the album, in my opinion, starts in 1969 at Amherst College when Jim Steinman wrote the musical The Dream Engine for his senior thesis. And this musical contains the spoken word dialogue that you hear in the song, You Took the Words Right Out of My Mouth. And then around the same time, Meatloaf flew to Los Angeles and joined the production of the musical Hair. Um, In 1971, Meatloaf released a soul album with Sean Stoney Murphy, who was Meatloaf's castmate in Hair. Um, the single from the album, What You See Is What You Get, reached number 36 on the best-selling soul singles chart and number 71 on the Billboard Hot 100. Meatloaf ended up leaving the record label, though, after they released a single from the album but replaced his vocals, and then he joined the Broadway production of Hair. So in 1973, Meatloaf auditions for Jim Steinman's musical More Than You Deserve, and he sang a song from the album, from his Stoney and Meatloaf album, I'd Love to Be As Heavy As Jesus. And Jim Steinman responded to that, you could be as heavy as two Jesuses, because Meatloaf's <laughs> just a big guy. Um, and then the two began working on songs for Battle of Hell. There's a little unknown of when they started getting serious about the album. Um, there were, Jim Steinman already had the songs written at the time, or some of the songs written at the time, but it's... You know, they don't know when they started actually getting serious. So while Simon's working on the songs, Meatloaf gets a part in the stage show, The Rocky Horror Show. 
And then he ends up playing Eddie in the movie and sings Hoppa Tootie, Bless My Soul, which is another one of the songs that he sings on concerts. Not so much recently, but one of the concerts that I went to, he sang it as like a, a bonus hit. And then it was pretty much after the Rocky Horror Show that they seriously began working on the album. So Jim Steinman originally wanted three of the songs that are on the, the album now to be in his musical Neverland, which was based off of the story of Peter Pan and Wendy. Um, but the writers and the people in charge of Peter Pan didn't want him to make the album because they didn't want to be associated with the rock, rock music and just the story behind the album, or the story behind the musical. And so this part, I've read this before, but I've also read something differently. But the goal of the album, goal of Bad Out of Hell, the album, was to make the music popular so that the musical could become popular. And then, but after the songs were completed, Meatloaf and Steinman struggled to find someone to produce the record. Eventually, Todd Rundgren agreed to produce it around 1975, 1976, because he thought that the album was a parody of Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run which was one of the most well-known albums at the time. And then the duo also struggled to find a record label after the album was produced. And then Clive Davis, who was who signed Bruce Springsteen to his record label, was one of the most well-known record label guys at the time, said to Steinman and, and Meatloaf, What are you two doing? Do you know how to write a song? Do you know anything about writing? Have you ever heard any rock and roll music? You should go downstairs when you leave here and buy some rock and roll records. Um, That's harsh. <laughs> yeah. And apparently Steinman just laughed at him because, and you know, Meatloaf says in an interview later that you know Steinman knew almost everything about music. Like he just knew so much about music, so many different songs and all that that it was just funny that Clive Davis would say that he didn't know anything about music. And then Rep- Ep- Epic Records denied Steinman and Meatloaf because Steinman offended them a few years earlier with a line from one one of his songs, Who Needs the Young, which is also a part of the Neverland musical, and I think that song was originally supposed to be on the Bad Out of Hell album, um, but they took it off because of the offensive line, I guess. Do you know what the offensive line was? I don't, but um, the song's on Meatloaf's new album, Braver Than We Are, so I guess... The record labels got over it. Yeah, I that. <laughs> but then while the album was being shopped around to the different producers, Meatloaf sang the vocals for Ted Nugent's album Free For All, which is, honestly, I, I've tried listening to one of the songs. It's just Ted Nugent playing the guitar loudly, and you can barely hear Meatloaf's <laughs> vocals in the background. Um, and then two and a half after two and a half years, Meatloaf and Jim Steinman's manager David Sonnenberg reached out to Cleveland International Records which had just been founded by Steve Popovich and was a break-off of Epic Records. Um, and then Popovich decided to release the album after he heard the spoken word intro to You Took the Words Right Out of My Mouth. So it wasn't any of the songs that did it for him. It was the spoken word intro. Um, and then originally the album struggled to gain any traction due to under-promoting. Epic Records, which was the parent company, hated it, and they wouldn't help Cleveland International promote it at all. Um... The album originally began to reach the charts in England and Australia. It later became popular in Canada due to increased airplay, mostly in Toronto. So whenever Meatloaf goes to Toronto, he's got a huge fan following there. Um, Eventually, the album began to take off in the United States after Meatloaf performed the song For Crying Out Loud, which is one of the probably not well-known songs off the album. 
he performed it at CBS Record Convention in 1978, and he received a standing ovation from the entire audience, which was supposedly led by rock legend Billy Joel. And so that's the history of the album up to its release. So we're going to move on into the song rundown part of our podcast. So to start off with the lead song from the album and the title track, Bad Out of Hell, is the longest song of the album at 9 minutes and 50 seconds, which is the longest song on a lot of albums. Um, the musicians for the song include Jim Steinman on keyboard and percussion, Todd Rundgren on guitar, motorcycle guitar, keyboard, percussion, and background vocals. And the interesting thing about the motorcycle guitar is that Steinman originally wanted to bring in a motorcycle to have the motorcycle sound, but Rundgren just picked up a guitar and made it sound like a motorcycle, which is just amazing to me that someone can do that. It includes E Street Band members Roy Bitten on the piano and keyboard and Max Weinberg on the drums, and the E Street Band was Bruce Springsteen's band, so maybe that's why a lot of people compare it to Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run. It includes Utopia members, which was Todd Rundgren's band, Kasim Sultan on the bass guitar and background vocals, and Roger Powell on the synth- synthesizer. And then background vocalists include Rory Dodd, who was Simon's background singer on 16 songs and albums, including Total Eclipse of the Heart, and Ellen Foley, who was in Simon's musical Neverland. And for this song, Simon said in an interview that he wanted to write the ultimate car-slash-motorcycle crash song. At the beginning of the song was inspired by Jailhouse Rock. Next song on the album is You Took the Words Right Out of My Mouth, Hot Summer Night. And Meatloaf told Simon that he wanted a song that wasn't 15 to 20 minutes long, and that he wanted a pop song. And this song is just over five minutes long, including the spoken word intro. Um, and this spoken word intro at the beginning of the song was originally part of the musicals The Dream Engine and Neverland, and the part of the musical, it was the wedding vows in Neverland between Peter and Wendy. Um, the intro is done by Jim Steinman and Ellen Foley. And Steinman said that this intro wasn't necessarily written for this song. And the musicians on the song include Todd Rundgren on guitar, percussion, and background vocal. Jim Steinman on keyboard and percussion. Roy Bitten on piano and keyboard. Max Weinberg on drums. Kasim Sultan on bass. Roger Powell on synthesizer. Rory Dodd and Ellen Foley on background vocals. It also includes Edgar Winter, who was the founder of the Edgar Winter Group on saxophone, and it also lists Marvin Lee on percussion, who is Meatloaf. Um, You Took the Words Right Out of My Mouth was the first single off of the album in October of 1977, and it didn't chart on the Billboard Hot 100 until it was re-released in 1978, in which it it peaked at number 39. And Steinman said that this melody came from The Who and Phil Spector, so they had influences on this song. The next song on the album is Heaven Can Wait. It was originally sung by Ellen Foley, who played Wendy in Neverland, um, after she married Peter. And then you can find a demo of this song on YouTube, and in the middle of it during the instrumental you can hear the spoken word intro from You Took the Words Right Out of My Mouth spliced into it. The song is 4 minutes and 38 seconds long. The musicians include Todd Rundgren on background vocals, Roy Bitten on the piano, 
Rory Dodd on the background vocals, and then it also includes Ken Asher, who is an American jazz pianist, composer, and arranger, and he does a string arrangement on the on the song. So you go from two songs with a bunch of instruments and an artist playing on it to this one, which is just Rundgren, Bitten, Dodd, and Asher. And then Steinman said that this song had more of a music box lullaby feel to it when he wrote it. The fourth song and the last song on the A-side of the album is All Revved Up With No Place To Go. It was originally the opening song in the Neverland musical, and it was titled The Formation of the Pack. It's the shortest song on the album at 4 minutes and 19 seconds, and the musicians include Todd Rundgren on the guitar, Roy Bitten on piano, Kasim Sultan on bass guitar, Edgar Winter on the saxophone, John Willie Wilcox, who was a member of Utopia, on the drums, and Ellen Foley on the background vocals. And Simon said that this was originally a 10-minute song that started slow with a frantic dance in the middle, and Jim said that he got very sick when they were recording this song, so he just let Todd Rundgren arrange the whole thing, whereas all the other songs in the album were co-arranged by both of them, and Todd Rundgren cut it down about 6 minutes and made it 4 minutes and 19 seconds long. The fifth song on the album and the first song on the B-side is Two Out of Three Ain't Bad, which is another one of Meatloaf's more well-known songs. It was written after Amy Kennedy, who was a childhood friend of, of Steinman, told him that he should write a simple song like Elvis Presley's I Want You, I Need You, I Love You, which was playing on the radio in the background at the time. And Steinman's lyric in the song is, I want you, I need you, but there ain't no way I'm ever gonna love you. Now don't be sad, because Two Out of Three Ain't Bad. I didn't know that. That's really interesting. Because now that you bring that up, I like can hear how both of them are very similar. Yeah. So that's really interesting that that song came from uh, the background of Elvis Presley's song. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of how Simon writes too. He just hears songs and just kind of makes parodies of songs, but at the same time, they're not parodies. They're his own songs. Um, so this song is five minutes and twenty-three seconds long. The musicians include Todd Rundgren on guitar, background vocals, Roy Bitten on the piano, Kasim Sultan on the bass guitar, John Wilcox on the drums, Roger Powell on the synthesizer, Ken Asher does a string arrangement on this song as well, and Rory Dodd is the background vocal. This was the second single released off the album in February 1978, and was the most successful single off the album, peaking at number 11 on the Billboard Hot 100. And Simon said he originally wrote this song with a country melody. So, I mean, it's kind of hard to picture the country melody with this song, but he that's what he said. The sixth song, and probably the most popular song that everyone knows um, off this album, is Paradise by the Dashboard Light. It's has probably the most radio play even today on the classic rock stations. Yeah, we hear it all the time, traveling anywhere. <laughs> yeah. It's one of the longest singles ever to be released at 8 minutes and 28 seconds. Um, according to Meatloaf in an interview in the 90s, he said that the song was originally 27 minutes long. I don't know if he was exaggerating or if it's actually true, but part of me wants to think that it was actually true. The song's broken into three parts, with a radio broadcast separating parts 1 and 2. Uh, part 1 is called Paradise, part 2 is Let Me Sleep On It, and part 3 is Praying For The End Of Time. It's, a th it's only at 8 minutes and 28 seconds, you would think it's the longest song, but it's only the third longest song of the album. The musicians include Ellen Foley as the lead female voice, who does this, the famous stop right there that, you know, you hear. It's, it's <laughs> just so famous. And the, 
the interesting thing is I heard in, on an interview with her that her email address is actually stop right there at <laughs> Gmail or, or whatever it is. Um, wow. So that's, it's pretty interesting how she still uses that to this day. Phil Rizzuto, who was an all-star shortstop and the voice of the New York Yankees at the time, is the announcer for the radio broadcast baseball play-by-play. Todd Rundgren's on guitar and background vocal. Roy Bitten is on the piano. Max Weinberg on the drums. Kasim Sultan on the bass guitar. Roger Powell on the synthesizer. Edgar Winter on the saxophone. And Rory Dodd on the background vocal. It was the third single released in August 1978, but it only peaked at number 39 on the Billboard Hot 100. And the last song on the album is For Crying Out Loud. Um, It was originally written for another musical that Simon wrote the music to called Kid Champion in 1975. It was the second longest song on the album at 8 minutes and 45 seconds. The musicians include Roy Bitten on the piano, Kasim Salton on the bass guitar, John Wilcox on the drums, Rory Dodd on the background vocals. It also includes includes Steve Margotius, who worked with Steinman on his musicals More Than You Deserve and Kid Champion, and he plays the piano and does the orchestra arrangement. Cheryl Hardwick, who was a keyboard player in the Saturday Night Live band at the time on piano. Gene Orloff as the concertmaster, who, and I don't really know what a concertmaster is, do you? Yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think. So, the concertmaster is like the person who, this is bad, I was in orchestra for I don't know how many years. Um, I wasn't the concertmaster. <laughs> They're the ones either either like the first violin, so you have like first violin, second violins, violas. Like they're the first chair, so they really lead the group when they stand. Everyone else stands. Like you look to them for direction, basically. Yeah. So he was like the leader of the orchestra then. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So you would need an orchestra. Um, so on the song is actually members of the New York Philharmonic and the Philadelphia Orchestra playing. Um, yeah. So that's the well, rundown. They're, they're very. Uh, very popular orchestra as well. We learned a lot about them, so mm-hmm. So there's the song rundown. So now that we did a run-through of, of all the songs on the album, I'm just going to do some of the what happened after the album was released. So it peaked at number 9 on the UK Albums Chart, but it was on the chart for 521 weeks in the top 100, so I don't necessarily know. I guess that's around 10 years. It peaked at number 1 in Australia and New Zealand, but it only peaked at number 14 on the Billboard Top 200 the week of September 16th, 1978, which was nearly one year after it was released. Um, It was behind albums that included Boston's Don't Look Back, The Grease Soundtrack, The Who's Who Are You, and Billy Joel's The Stranger. Reviews of the album were mixed at the time. Richie York of Sound Magazine in Canada said in his June 1978 review, It's been quite a while since any album dripped with the guts, gusto, and dramatic overdrive so evident on Bad Out of Hell. Simon Kinnersley said in his 1978 review, It's not, as I first suspected, the usual assortment of headbangers' delights. Not a visionary meisterwork, 
but a vigorous and, at the time, outstanding set of songs, the music possessed with a sense of pomp and ceremony, the lyrics revealing a delectable extravagance, tempered by a genial sense of the absurd. And then in his 1977 review, Dave Marsh said, Meatloaf has an outstanding voice, but his phrasing is way too stage-struck to make the album's pretensions to comic book street life real. And Steinman is wordy, he can't bring out the transcendently personal elements that make a song like Night Moves. And then after Battle of Hell became successful, uh, the record company wanted Meatloaf and Steinman to release another album right away. Um, Simon had the album ready, which was originally titled Renegade Angel, and it was for Meatloaf to sing, but Meatloaf was struggling with all of the fame from Battle of Hell, and he ended up losing his voice, which might have been psychological at the time, but he lost his voice. So Steinman sang the album instead and titled it Bad for Good, but he gave Meatloaf enough songs so that he could do another album called Dead Ringer, and neither album reached the success of Bad Out of Hell at all. Um, and it actually strained Meatloaf and Steinman's relationship, so they went separate ways, Steinman writing for other people and Meatloaf performing songs written by other people. But they eventually came back together to do Bad Out of Hell 2 in 1993. In 2003, Rolling Stone magazine ranked this album number 343 on its list of the top 500 albums of all time. Like I said earlier in the podcast, Bad Out of Hell is the fourth highest selling album of all time. It sells approximately 200,000 copies each year. Uh, it's the highest selling album in Australia and the fifth highest selling album in New Zealand. And you know, something that was alluded to earlier was that the original goal of the Battle of Hell album was to make the music for Neverland Musical popular. Um, around the 40th anniversary of Battle of Hell being released, uh, Battle of Hell the Musical opened at Manchester Opera House. That was February 17, 2017. Uh, the musical has since seen runs in London and Toronto, with a tour in Germany and the United States in the work. Um, the musical has seen great reviews for in London, in Manchester, in Toronto as well. Um, a lot of people like the rock and roll part. The story, they say, is a little off, but um, yeah, I'd like to see it one day. So all of the original songs from Battle of Hell, the album, appear in the musical, um, which is still a basis around the Peter Pan story. And the only song that really is a drastic change is All Revved Up With No Place To Go, which is the beginning track to the album, or to the musical again. Um, and it features a dance battle type thing in the middle of it in the musical, which is what Simon originally wanted on the album, but Todd Rundgren took it out. So one last little segment that we are going to do on our podcast before we get into our favorite songs is just comparing the album that we're talking about with other albums. Um, so for this podcast, I'm just going to compare Bad Out of Hell to other albums in history that have sold more copies than it, and that includes Michael Jackson's Thriller, ACDC's Back in Black, and Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. So the first part, we're going to do the number of songs on the album, the length, total length of the album, and then the average length of each song. For Thriller, it's about nine. It's nine songs. Uh, it runs at 42 minutes and 19 seconds, and has about a four-minute and 43-second average. 
Back in Black is 10 songs, 45 minutes and 48 seconds, which is about a four and a half minute average. Dark Side of the Moon is 10 songs, 42 minutes and 29 seconds, which is about a, a four minute, a little bit over four minute average. And Bad Out of Hell is seven songs, 46 minutes and 33 seconds, which is a six minute and 39 second song average, which is longer than all but two songs from the other three albums. The longest song on the album, for Thriller, it's 6 minutes and 2 seconds. Back in Black is 5 minutes 17 seconds. Dark Side of the Moon is 7 minutes 51 seconds. And Bad Out of Hell is 9 minutes and 50 seconds. The peak position on the Billboard 200, Thriller peaked at number 1. Back in Black peaked at number 4. Dark Side of the Moon peaked at number 1. And Bad Out of Hell peaked at 14. And in the all-music rating, Thriller was 5 out of 5 stars. Back in Black was 5 out of 5 stars. Dark Side of the Moon was 5 out of 5 stars. And Battered of Hell was 4.5 out of 5 stars. I think it's pretty obvious that uh, Battered of Hell has longer songs, um, but hasn't been as popular mainstream. Um, and I think um, Meatloaf has said in an interview that you either love the album or you hate the album. Um, I, I think that's true to an extent. I would add in a third. I would say you either love the album, you either hate the album, or you don't understand the album. Or you're marrying someone who loves the album. <laughs> you <laughs> or you're gotta listen to it and learn to like it. Loves the album. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's, it's just interesting how it's the fourth highest selling album of all time, but it wasn't as popular as the other albums. But it's different than all the other albums. That's probably why it's it's not or it's popular with some people and not other people like the mainstream um you look at mainstream music now and each album is 15 songs three to four minute songs there's really you know not much diversity on the albums anymore so um that's all we have to talk about for battle of hell now we're going to get into our favorite songs So now we're into the, f- the fun part of the podcast, which is Miranda and I discussing our favorite songs. Um, so we're just going to go through our top five, starting at number five. Uh, we're just going to go back and forth, and then we're each just going to talk about uh, our favorite part of the song. Okay, uh, for my number five, I have Heaven Can Wait. I said that I liked the instrumental with the violins in the middle. It's just a really soothing song, um, something that I can listen to a few times in a row and just really just enjoy it and appreciate it. Yeah, for my number five, I also had Heaven Can Wait. Um, yeah, it's just, it, it kind of feels out of place on the album, because it's just like a hard, rocking album all the way through, um, and then you look at Heaven Can Wait in the middle as kind of the slower um, song, but uh, I s- still, I think it's what makes the album great in a way, too. Um, and then my favorite part was, I think, right after the in- instrumental where Meatloaf goes into the, and I know that I've been released part, um, and I think the instrumental, too, is a good part, but just really like the, the lyric right after that. Uh, so, number four. I have All Revved Up With No Place To Go. Okay. Um, I said I really liked the beginning, instrumental, and the saxophone. Um, how It just really starts off with a fun, fun little beginning. And I also said I can relate to this song, <laughs> because I'm always ready to go with no place to go. 
<laughs> All right, yeah, I guess, I guess that makes sense. Um, my number four, I had Paradise by the Dashboard Light, um, which is weird because I feel like a lot of people would say this is their number one or number two. Um, and then again, I feel like those people also haven't really listened to all seven songs in the album. They just know it from the radio. Um, but I think just the favorite part is Ellen Foley's iconic stop right there. Like that just really kicks off the second half of this song and really, you know, I think this the whole second half, I think the second half of the song is better than the first half of the song mm-hmm. with them just going back and forth at each other. Um, so number three. Yeah, so my three was Paradise by the Dashboard Light. It's really catchy. It's um, easy to sing along to. Uh, it sounds, it's like, sounds like multiple songs in one. I, growing up, I thought it was multiple songs until I was like, no, it's one song. Um, but yeah, I like the back and forth of them going, um, talking, and the, where Ellen, the iconic stop right there, I think that really just hits it off, and, uh, catches your attention, wants you to kind of keep listening, so, that was my number three. Mm-hmm. So my number three was, you took the words right out of my mouth, um, you know, I think this is the other classic song off the album that you hear a lot on the radio, um, you know, I, it's, it's hard picking one song, one part of the song for me to put as my favorite, um, and I, I picked one, but I want to do two. Um, I really, I really like the spoken word intro, the dialogue at the beginning. Uh, you don't get to hear that on the radio because they have to cut the songs short enough that people will listen to it. But I really think that's just unique and, and interesting to uh, Meatloaf and Steinman. Almost every one of their albums together has one of those spoken words parts. Um, and the second part I said was the end where it's just Meatloaf. Um, and I think Ellen Foley and the background singers... And then just the tambourine, like they just take out all the instruments, and then you have Meatloaf saying, "You took the words right out of my mouth," and then Ellen saying, "Must have been while you were kissing me," and they just repeat it, repeat it, and then it builds up, then they bring the instruments back in. Um, so that was that was my third song. So number two. Yeah, so my number two was "You Took the Words Right Out of My Mouth," and very similar. I like the end where they just clap, um, and they are saying, uh, "Meatloaf singing, you took the words right out of my mouth." And then when they bring the instruments back, I like that as well. But I just, overall, I think it's a really upbeat and fun song. Something you can kind of clap along with, and it's a fun one. My number two is, was your least favorite song. I picked for Crying Out Loud. Um, oh, so, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, you know, I, it, it's, it's weird because it's another one of those forgotten songs. Um, but it's also interesting to think about that if Meatloaf wouldn't have performed it, that night the album might not have kicked off um but i think just at the end like the whole the whole song it's just eight minutes and 48 seconds i think um and it just it's a slow starting song Uh, but then when you bring in the orchestra and then it just starts to get more upbeat upbeat and it like turns into a faster song um but and i think my favorite part is just the whole i mean i have eight lines written down so i'm in the middle of nowhere near the end of the line but there's a border to somewhere waiting and there's a tank full of time oh give me just another moment to see the light of the day and take me to another land where i don't have to stay i think that's just my favorite part to listen to every time um so number one i wonder what we have i have bow out of hell can't do the album without picking the name of it for the best song (laughs) so i just said that, that i really like the piano instrumental in the beginning um, and I just like the lyrics overall. I think it's just fun. Um, and I had like when the sun goes down and the help. <laughs> when the days 
oh man, it's when the day is dawn and the sun goes down and yeah. the moonlight's shining through. <laughs> yeah, it's just, you know, I just liked it. It's catchy and it's upbeat and it's just a fun song. <laughs> yeah. I actually didn't have Bad Out of Hell. Really? Nah, I'm kidding. Oh, I was going to say, I was like, what? <laughs> no, I think, you know, this one is is up there in my, you know, I'm a huge Meatloaf fan. I think this one's in, definitely in my top five, possibly, probably in my top three of favorite Meatloaf songs. Um, I think, you know, this song is just so unique that there are very few songs like it. Um, compare, this, this album overall gets compared to Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run a lot. Because it was, you know, Todd Rundgren thought it was a parody. Two people on the on Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band played in the song, or played on the album. Um, so it gets compared a lot, um, but I think it's 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 like Bruce Springsteen's Born to Run, but it's to, it's a totally different album when you look at it like that. So, um, and I think this was like one of the songs that Clive Davis, the music producer, really didn't like, and he actually said when writing a song, that the song should be like A, B, C, B, C, C. And he said this song was A, F, G, D, B, C. Um, it was just so out out of order. But when you yeah, listen to it... It is very it, out of place, but it goes together. Like, it just fits. Yeah. And it, it's just different from other songs, because mm-hmm. other songs have, you know, a, a verse, chorus, verse, chorus, mm-hmm. bridge. Um, this song has, like, two choruses and two bridges and just five different verses that just sound totally different. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was even hard for me to pick one part <laughs> on this song, too, but I did, and I um, I picked the duet, the, the little duet in the middle of the song where um, they were just like, well, if I gotta be damned, you know, I'd rather be damned, yeah. dancing dancing through the night, dancing through the night, dancing through the night with you. And then the instrumental that just comes after that with the guitar and then the yes. piano playing with... Um, I like that, too. Yeah. I think that's just favorite song. Um, So then after we do the song comparisons, we're going to rank the album based off of other albums we've done on the podcast. But since this is (laughs) our first podcast, I guess we both have Bad Out of Hell ranked at number one. Yep. So this is probably the first, (laughs) the last time that Bad Out of Hell is going to be ranked on Miranda's number one. (laughs) Number one. (laughs) I don't think Bad Out of Hell is going to get knocked off of my number one. Anytime soon. <laughs> ever, probably. Yeah, so, ever. Um, that's all right. It's your number one. So, you know, that's our podcast. Um, Thanks gonna, for listening. We're just going to conclude a little bit by Miranda's just going to say what next month's podcast is going to be, and then I'm just going to yes, talk afterwards. Yes, I am super excited to announce that next month's podcast is going to be Fleetwood Mac Rumors, which is one of my favorites. So I am super excited for you guys to listen in on what we have for you for next time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and for those of you listening, if you have any suggestions for our podcast, any albums that you want us to do, uh, you just want to say hi or um, anything like that, you can email at dorneysvinyl at gmail.com. That's D-O-R-N-E-Y-S-V-I-N-Y-L at gmail.com. Um, and yeah, we'll every month we'll hopefully have a new podcast and we'll, our biannual bonus album months on March and September. So thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye-bye.
Hello, everyone, and thank you again for listening to this podcast. Um, I just wanted to point out that I made a mistake in the album Quick Facts uh, section of this podcast. I said that Cleveland International was belonging to Sony. Um, it actually belongs to Epic Records, so I just wanted to throw that in there here at the end just to say that I made a mistake and that Cleveland International belongs to Epic Records. The music clips we discussed in this podcast are used in compliance with the U.S. Copyright Act, fair use exemption for criticism and commenting.